podcast listeners, P4C, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I had a friend at work today. He asked me, you still doing the pod? I said, hell yeah, I'm still doing the pod. You can find me on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen. You got to tell your friends. You got to subscribe or follow and review. Weekly, we're coming out. And this week, we obviously got Shohei. We got Soto, general manager slash winter meetings, rather, in Nashville. And, of course, there's a whole lot of football news to get to, like the Bears and their head coaching situation. Uh, uh, Zach Wilson back as quarterback number one for the Jets. What a fiasco that is in New York. We're going to get to it all. It is episode 125 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Nashville, Tennessee, home to this year's winter meetings. Not always the biggest event of the year. I know a lot of the columnists, the people that cover the game, whether you're bloggers, podcasters, even uh, newspaper, you know, whomever. A lot of people covering baseball nowadays and it's great i love it people say the sports sign yet everybody wants in the club even on the media side of things big bucks and a lot of those big bucks are shelled out this weekend or this this time of the calendar because everybody's in the same place the general managers they don't have to talk on the phone they can meet in person get a little bit better feel for what that executive is trying to do for their club and sometimes even players show up Eduardo Rodriguez apparently showed up and sounds like he's down to two teams and might sign here by the end of the day. But the big fish obviously is Shohei and Buster Olney, a guy who's really trying to be more ESPN like. It's not his natural instinct, I don't think. He's more so diplomatic. He's playing intermediary. He's good with players. He's good with coaches and he's also a good media guy. But you know, ESPN really likes to push and really take the 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 brand side of things with uh, NFL players, Major League Baseball, even NBA. And so, you know, only came out with an article talking about how Shohei's letting a lot of people down by being private and secret about his free agency. He doesn't want to talk. His agents don't want to discuss anything. They've warned potential teams that if they speak out publicly that they're going to get in trouble, potentially, or it would be used against them. And, you know, I I understand what he's saying. It would be good for baseball to have this a little more front-facing. But in the end, it's his call. And he wants it to be private. And if that's what he wants, then by all means, do it. He doesn't owe baseball anything. And I don't even feel let down. If anything, it's actually made it more intriguing to me because I have no idea. Yes, Dave Roberts came out and kind of went against the grain with Shohei's wishes and said, Shohei's our top priority. Nothing new. Obviously, we know the Dodgers are in on this. But I actually think the lack of talk has made things more compelling. I'm more enamored with what's going on because I have no clue. Is he going to go to Toronto? Is he going to go back to Anaheim? If he really values privacy and comfort, I would say that's actually the best move. Would he go to the Rangers, who had you Darvish, know how to um, you know, really make Texas a home for a Japanese player? That was the thing with you Darvish, is that was the first time 
a name like that actually went to Dallas? Or is there a wild card like Seattle or even the Mets where he ends up? I, I have no idea because it has been this quiet. So I actually think it's the opposite. When we talk about Shohei, I think it's great that he's not letting anything on. His agent has privately told general managers, don't say anything, or this could be used against you. Obviously, the Dodgers don't really feel like it's going to hurt him too much because Roberts is coming out and saying the obvious. But, you know, I, I think it makes it more intriguing, and I, I really couldn't disagree more with only who covers the game and doing a long time. Definitely uh, deflected to passing, who I'm not the biggest fan of. Obviously, covers the game great, too, but... Just does a little too much, uh, gives a little too much opinion for me, for an ESPN reporter. I think only got this one wrong, and if anything, I think the privacy has made Shohei's free agency even more intriguing. New York Yankees traded for big-time outfielder, not Juan Soto, but by the time you listen to this, that might have happened too. They traded with the Boston Red Sox for Alex Verdugo. Definitely a good pickup for them. Three right-handed pitchers whom, you know, are pretty low on the totem pole in the Yankee organization. Bit of a head-scratcher if you're the Red Sox. Why are you trading with the Yankees? Why are you trading one of your best players, a guy who leaps and bounds really improved as a hitter in Alex Verdugo, and gifting them a player that they've really coveted, an outfielder who's solid defensively, Excellent left-handed bat, short right porch in Yankee Stadium. I just, you know, I, I know the new school way of thinking is don't worry about who you're trading with. Just get as many assets as you can and let the teams that are, have better rosters win, even if it's your rival. I know there's been uh, hesitancy from traditional general managers to trade within the division and also with your rival, and I agree with it. Why do you want to see a team have success and then you have to look at that player balling out right before your eyes? Don't you want to try and figure it out in your organization? Obviously, there's always exceptions. But if you're the Red Sox, this was just a subtraction and what? You, you might hit on one of these guys. They might be a good relief pitcher for a year or two. I just don't understand it. You, you got Verdugo in the Betts trade, and he's balling out. He's been the one that's actually hit in that Mookie Betts trade. Jeter Downs, he got let go of. Um, the other guy, I can't even remember. Just a really big head-scratcher for Boston. Now, with New York, obviously they get a great hitter. It 100% should not take them out on Juan Soto. If anything, it's just another piece to trade for Juan Soto, but ideally, you want to keep both of them. I said it a few weeks ago, the Yankees have to get this one done. Not from a PR standpoint. The Yankee fans are always going to show up. They're always going to show out for their team. But this is a guy who's going to transform your lineup and give you exactly what you need. They need to be more left-handed. They need to have better overall approaches, overall hitters, not just a one-tool or two-tool guy. The Yankees have been far too right-handed. They strike out way too much. They bop home runs, but they're big, hulking players like Judge and Rizzo and Gallo, and they end up on the injury list. And then when they really start to get booed because they strike out all the time, 
mentally they start to go as well. So when you look at the Astros, championship level at-bats. When you look at the Phillies, championship level at-bats in the postseason. The teams that have had consistent success, when it comes to postseason time, they, they can play the long ball game, they can play the small ball game, they can steal bags. Like you got to be well-rounded. And the Yankees have gotten away from that. They've been focused on 162 games where, yeah, the long ball will help you over the course of that period, but come the tournament, that's when things get to be a little shaky. And this year they didn't make the tournament. So good pickup for the Yanks in Verdugo. If he's a piece that lands Soto, I get that. But ideally, you need to have Verdugo and Soto in your lineup come April 2024. So this past weekend, of course, was conference title game weekend, and we had Pac-12 or Pac-2 and the Big Ten and the SEC, everybody. They all played, and I was obviously locked in on the SEC, wanted to see Bama and how they fared against Georgia. And my oh my, did it hit me harder once that game concluded. Obviously a a really good game for the Tide, and I think overall, yes, they deserve to be in the Final Four and – at Florida State got screwed, I guess, but, you know, so is life. I mean, that, that, that's how it goes. And there's only going to be four, and I think the better teams all got into that Final Four. But when I watched that SEC title game, and I saw Gary Danielson and his partner sign off for the final time, it, it, I honestly forgot that CBS was losing the SEC, so I'm glad I caught it. As I started to walk out of my kitchen, I I stopped dead in my tracks. And they said their farewell to the audience. And I really do think that the SEC and their fans, they're going to see just how valuable that network was to their product. Everybody's going to still watch SEC football. It's still going to be big. It's still going to be the best conference in college football. But I'm telling you right now, RG3, Dan Orlovsky, all of these guys who are just in it to show how smart they are, diagnose the play before it happens, and talk about swag, and wear all these cool, hip-looking outfits for their network, and, and really just be radical with their opinions, that, that's going to wear on you much more quickly then you realize the professionalism, the mystique, those horns sounding off at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time each Saturday afternoon, you're going to miss that because it felt big, because it was big. And CBS made that for the Southeastern Conference. Obviously, football was king in the South before they got CBS, in the mid-90s when uh, Jim Nance was doing the football games, but it was a regional product. And then it was born into a national brand because of CBS. They were the first network to go standalone with a conference and have a standalone time slot at 3.30 each Saturday. And again, ESPN, they're going to have their crew there. They're going to have McAfee. They're going to have Herb Street. They're going to have RG3 and Orlovsky, Marcus Spears, all these cats who, look, they get paid big bucks. A lot of people think they're entertaining, but it's more goofy 
it's supposed to be more, you know, uh, cutting edge. And in actuality, I think it's going to wear on people because you get enough of them during the day on the talk shows. But when it comes kickoff, when you actually have to broadcast the game, I just think they're going to be scrambling a little bit. I think they're going to be trying to fill the spaces and, and not know how to do a three-hour game and really explain to the audience how this game is going and make it feel like it's the biggest conference in the world, which it is. I, I, I think it's going to lose a little something. And we'll see next fall in 2024, but farewell to CBS and the SEC. It was a hell of a ride. And who knows, maybe down the road, we'll see CBS and the SEC together again. You would have thought at the beginning of the year when Aaron Rodgers went down that Sala had a big get-out-of-jail-free card with his quarterback going down four snaps into the season. But yet, Joe Douglas and him stuck with Zach Wilson not only in Week 1 and into Week 2, and gave him the stamp of approval. We're here in week 13, or excuse me, week 14. And they're going back to Zach Wilson because they failed to immediately find a better option. And then they failed again prior to the trade deadline to get better quarterback. Everyone thought it would be okay that they dumped games and they lost again, got a high draft pick, and then Rodgers will come back and save the day once again in 2024. Unfortunately, we're finding out the Jets probably would have been a very big disappointment even if Aaron Rodgers had played. This offensive line stinks. Their wide receivers, while talented, aren't as good as everybody claims. Nathaniel Hackett does not really call a good game. Their defense gives up monstrous plays each and every week. The Jets have some talent, but they are not a good team. They don't play all that well. So, I think this decision, and if you're Woody Johnson, Chris Johnson, if you're looking at this, you have to be thinking about dumping the head coach. I said it last week, but now that you're going back to Zach Wilson after rumors that there's reluctance for him to play, I'm sorry. Typically, NFL players that are on the roster want to play in the game, and you're going to go and put in number two again after there's been rumors that He's hesitant to go in there? I mean, that is the biggest mistake that Salah has made. I thought last week he had made the biggest mistake he would ever make, and then this week he surprises me once more. He's putting in a guy who doesn't actually want to be on the field. He doesn't care about football. He's admitting it to you, yet you're going to stare at your team and put that guy under center. Just a, a joke of a franchise. It's the reason they have the longest streak of not making the playoffs in the NFL. And if you're the Jets, you have to cut ties with Salah and find a guy who's going to build a program and get guys who have talent to actually play well, even if your starting quarterback goes down. More news out of Chicago and the Bears and what they're going to do this offseason. Kevin Warren apparently likes Brian Johnson of the Eagles, guy I can't say I know too much about. Obviously, he's on staff with Sirianni, Steichen, having some good early success in Indy. He came from the Frank Reich tree, who, while it got ugly here, 
in the past two years. Reich did make the playoffs a couple times and, and, and had some success. So you can't discount Johnson altogether if he comes from the Sirianni Reich uh, tree of coaches. And then, of course, there's Eric Bieniemy, who is in his first year calling plays and doing some good things. I think he really is feeling the need, though, to throw a bunch of passes and showcase himself to the rest of the NFL world and get himself a head coaching job. He's doing the Kellen Moore playbook, which, you know, if that's just the interview process, if you will, I get it. But if he calls plays like that when he's a head coach, he's going to be in some serious trouble. I'm not really sure what to make of the enemy. He's interviewed with half the league and then half the league turned him down. So is it a situation where he's going into the interview and telling it how it is and how it should be instead of trying to rehearse the correct answers like we often do? I know with my job, when I interviewed, I made sure to go in with the answers that I knew they wanted to hear. You want to get the job and you want to get paid, you better give them what they want. But maybe the enemy is going the other way, making sure that this is a match, this is a fit, and he's being brutally honest, and then the owners kind of shy away because they're like, eh, that's not exactly what I was looking for. But in actuality, it's good for Eric the enemy. That's one thought I've had. It's either that or he's really just not a good candidate. But the Chiefs seem to think so. The Bears are obviously going to hire him. And I hope it works out for whomever gets him, and especially for Chicago and Miss Taylor's Bears. I hope they get a guy that can actually run the team. Again, a program builder. Nagy was just an offensive play caller. That's what I hope the enemy is not. Eberflus is a defensive coordinator. He doesn't have autonomy of the entire team. Yeah, they play hard but they just don't have any sort of real adaptability. It's the same game each and every time. With Nagy, was the penalties. They would make some plays, but then they would shoot themselves in the foot with a false start. Eberflus, they only get going if they can get the run and then play action pass off of it. And then if there's a more talented team, they have no shot because they just aren't dynamic enough through the air. And that's been the Eberflus experience here in one-plus years. So that's where Harbaugh, I really think it could be a smashing success if the Bears go after him. Now, do I think it would be a long-term head coach? Not really, because I think Harbaugh does really well with young players. And because they have all these draft picks early on, potentially the number one overall pick, I think Harbaugh could come in turn the franchise around with an infusion of young, cheap talent. But then as it gets more expensive, as these guys get on their second contracts and you have a more veteran roster, you know, that the Harbaugh thing, as we saw in San Francisco, that, that might not last. So I think you really have a two- to four-year window here where Harbaugh could be the guy and really revitalize the Bears. Obviously, he lives in Chicago, has a home there play for the Bears. I think it's a match made in heaven, but they have to hire him this offseason, especially with the draft capital. The enemy is not a bad guy to interview. You just don't know what you're getting. Is he the guy that the owners are saying he is, or is he a guy that hasn't gotten his shot? It's hard to tell. I would lean Harbaugh, but I definitely would interview both candidates.
So Cody Schrader of Mizzou, alma mater for me, just won the award given out to the best player that was originally a walk-on to their team. Cody Schrader started at Division II Truman State right here in Missouri, then walked on to Mizzou, and now he is the best running back, one of the best running backs in the country, and definitely the best running back to have been a walk-on. He uh, had, had a fabulous end to his career, and the guy was all class. He was obviously mic'd up on the sidelines against Tennessee. He needed like 15 yards from scrimmage to break a historic record. I think it was like 200 pat or 200 yards rushing plus 100 yards receiving total scrimmage yards in an SEC game. And the, the guy didn't care at all. He said it was about the team winning and it, you could tell it was genuine. I loved it. Great example of the transfer portal. But now we're in December and this is where things get ugly. Coaches are way less emotional and are not tied to players like they used to be. Guys are not on scholarship. They are. They're getting free education. They're getting the money plus anything in NIL. But those are expiring at the end of the season. So you got guys like Dion, and I'm not against this, but it's just a reality and an element that human beings have to factor in. Dion last year when he took, uh, took over Colorado – told guys to en enter the transfer portal. And you have coaches that, in all likelihood, by maybe a month in to actually dealing with a recruit or even halfway through the season, they probably know a guy's going to leave or they're going to try and encourage a guy to leave because it's about producing. It's about making sure that I keep my job as a head coach or an assistant coach. And if you stuck your neck out for a guy and he's pouting on the sideline because he's not getting in games, here's a freshman, and he obviously was the big dog on campus in high school, or if he was a really hard worker, but then he got $100,000 and he started showing up late to the film room and kind of being lackadaisical in the weight room, then yeah, you might try and kick that guy out the door. So... When you're 19, 20, 21 years old and you're a parent, and yeah, you got all this money coming in and life is great, but you do know the chances of your kid actually playing in the NFL are slim. While you're happy he has all this cash to be made and is making, you're probably a little concerned that you chose your school, he's playing football, he's making money, but now we have to leave a good academic situation. If you're at Stanford or if you're at Vanderbilt and you really wanted him to get that engineering degree or you wanted him to, to, to get that accounting degree, whatever the school is known for, and now he has to leave because the coach doesn't want him there anymore? If he wants to continue playing football, he has to look at a different situation? Or he's forced to drop football and stay at that university, and now he has to go on his own dime. He doesn't have that football scholarship. That's a pretty crummy situation for the family. And look, they know what they signed up for, and they know the deal with this transfer portal. But this is what a lot of the old, uh, out-of-touch, out-of-date folks like me said when you instituted this. And I'm not even anti 
portal. I'm not even anti-NIL. But I did say they're going to be dealt with or dealt like as professionals. They're no longer kids. There's no longer an investment. The coaches used to understand this guy's going to be here four years. This is about football, and it's also about their education. Not their, now that there's all this money thrown around, this is pro football. This is a step down from the National Football League. So I really hate to see it because a lot of these kids, they're not going on to play in the NFL. And a lot of them, they're going to make some decisions on money, and a lot of it's life-changing, so they'll have to make it. But maybe that money isn't going to serve them all that well down the road. Maybe that money is actually going to have to pay for some tuition bills that they didn't even anticipate once they realize they have to transfer schools because the coach doesn't even want them. So just something to think about as we enter December. Obviously, the big names, the Burdens, the Caleb Williams, those guys are going to go play in the league. They've made an ungodly amount of money where they're going to be just fine, and they'll play football wherever because football is the number one priority. But there's a lot of guys on these 100-man rosters that know they got life after these four years of suiting up on Saturdays. That's going to do it. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast. Again, weekly, tell your friends, tell your family what we're doing here. We got bowl games kicking off here soon. NFL season just wrapping up here in December. Actually going to January, but we're in the final stretch, I should say, of the NFL. And we're going to have some Juan Soto and Shohei Otani news here to break down next week and, and even more as far as MLB transactions here in free agency. So thanks so much for listening. We will see you guys next week.